0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This episode contains descriptions of violence and sexual assault. Please use discretion. In June of 2014... A woman named Denise Huskins moved to Northern California. She was a physical therapist and had decided to do her residency at Kaiser Hospital in Vallejo, not far from San Francisco. During the first month she was there, she started noticing another physical therapist who worked at the hospital. His name was Aaron Quinn.
1: And we always would gravitate to each other and have these really easy conversations. And at the end of July... He said that he was interested in hanging out with me um, a little bit more. And he let me know what was going on in his life. He had recently broken up with his ex fiance because of her infidelity. So he wasn't, you know, necessarily in the best position to start dating. But um, our connection was undeniable. I mean, I think two weeks in, we were just... Supposed to go to the baseball game, and we're sitting in the parking lot talking instead. Um, and we'd said, you know, feels like we've known each other our whole lives.
2: The conversations were just so easy. Uh, there was just a, a warmth and empathy and honesty about her.
1: And so we gave it a shot, and we
0: uh, quickly fell in love. After they had been dating for about seven months, Denise learned that Aaron had been in communication with his ex-fiancé. She knew that he'd struggled to get over the end of that relationship and to deal with being cheated on. But by this point, Denise needed him to make a decision about what he wanted.
2: Our relationship came to a head uh, uh, when she found that I was still texting my ex-fiancé. And from there, Denise rightfully demanded a change, and so I I actually thought I had ruined things with Denise, but I need to make changes for myself. If uh, if I was ever going to find someone like her, uh, I was hoping that we could still work out things together.
0: Aaron and Denise planned to meet to talk about what they should do about their relationship. They decided to meet at Aaron's house, which was on a peninsula called Mare Island in Vallejo.
1: I wasn't quite sure where the conversation was going to go, and. If this was going to be us moving forward, as committing to each other, or if this was going to be the end.
2: It was an emotional talk, but it was actually a new beginning.
1: And uh, so although it was a long, emotional evening, um, we were in a good place. And we fell asleep around midnight, and we're in a really deep sleep. Um, I think it was around 3 a.m., and that's when I heard a strange man's voice waking me from sleep. At first, I thought it was a nightmare. I guess I hoped it was a nightmare, but I couldn't deny it any longer. And my eyes shot open and I froze in fear, Uh, seeing a flashing white light against the wall and red laser dots scanning the walls and then disappearing as it went over our bodies. The man who spoke said, this is a robbery we are not here to hurt you. And so, I mean, when I first realized the situation, I, I mean, I froze and there was nothing to really do because I didn't know, I mean, when you're awakened to a situation like that, uh, I mean, you can't even imagine it. You only hear about it in movies and and, and maybe bad news reports, but you don't think it's ever going to happen to you. So, you know, just thinking that the best thing for us to do is listen and, and, I mean, that's a thing. They woke us up saying it's a robbery and so you're hoping that that's actually true.
2: My eyes popped open. I was staring at the ceiling. I could see the white light flooding the room and the red laser dots crossing over that I assumed were sights to a gun but my body froze and I could hear the voice saying something, but I just couldn't move until he finally said, Aaron, lie face down. They knew my name uh, and that broke me out of that frozen moment. So I rolled onto my stomach.
1: I mean, it was just, I, I mean, the fact that they knew Aaron's name made me wonder what they were really here for.
0: I'm Phoebe Judge, this is Criminal.
1: The man who spoke, um, he then instructed me to tie Aaron up. He put zip ties at the edge of the bed and quickly backed away. I reached behind to get the zip ties. I never looked back, afraid that we would be hurt if I did. As I was tying Aaron's hands together and his feet together, I couldn't see Aaron's eyes, but I saw him take a deep breath in and on his exhale out, he just said, oh my God. And even though we couldn't speak to each other, I think there was this understanding that um, that it was in our best interest to not fight and to, to comply, considering the situation. The fact that they were armed and there was multiple people, I mean, this was really... Pretty quick, it was obvious how planned it was. Uh, I was then instructed to go to the bedroom closet, um, keep my head down, do not look up. I I did that, but as I passed the foot of the bed, I could see two people standing at the edge. Um, they were dressed in all black. I saw from their feet to waist level, it looked like they were holding something at their waist. Uh, one of them followed behind me. Um, and I was zip-tied in the same way I tied up Aaron in the closet. And then Aaron was escorted to the, the closet, too. Um, we were both given blacked-out swim goggles and headphones over our ears to listen to these pre-recorded messages with instruction. It was a really odd recording with wind chime-like, Music and this really auto-tuned voice saying, "Be calm. You know this. This is not your fault." Um, and it eventually said that they were going to drug us. We were going to take it orally, but if we refused, they would inject it. And so we did. And I was still somewhat hopeful that it was just a robbery, thinking, "Okay." They'll knock us out, so we really, there is really no chance of us uh, fighting back or trying to escape, and they'll clear out Aaron's belongings, and eventually we'll wake up, but we'll be okay. Um, but each moment that passed, I just, it just got worse and worse. The recordings eventually said that they were going to ask personal and financial questions, and... Uh, they would ask me and Aaron, um, so I thought, okay, maybe they're going to wipe out our bank accounts, but then they moved me to a different room and then they moved me downstairs and, uh, and they never asked me any personal questions or financial questions. And eventually when I was downstairs, the voice that was speaking came down and he said, we have a problem. This wasn't meant for you. This was meant for, and he named Aaron's ex-fiancee by her first and last name. Um, and he said, we need to figure out what to do. And not long later, he he came back in and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take you 48 hours. We're going to put you in the trunk of Aaron's car, transfer you to another trunk, drive you hours away. And Aaron's going to have to complete some tasks for your release.
2: The man that we call the voice comes back, and he... He asked me, do Denise and my ex look alike? And uh, I just gave out this deep guttural sigh. I said, yes, they both have long blonde hair. And he said, we have the wrong intel. This was meant for my ex. And we have to figure out what we're going to do next. During that point, there's was a, another probably 20, 30 minutes of lack of interaction with him. Uh, and I hoped that maybe because it wasn't intended for Denise that they would Leave, maybe they did leave, but he eventually came back and told me that they're going to take Denise for 48 hours. I would have to pay money. I can get her back. We can move on with our lives.
0: How much money did he say you'd have to pay?
2: So they knew I had at the time 20,000 in my uh, checking account. It was They demanded 17,000, two payments of 8,500 to uh, avoid the mandated federal reporting limit. They ended up playing this, like, long 10-minute recording for me I'd say that they're a black market group, that people get hired for personal or financial debts. And in turn, they were going to make my home a prison. They were going to put a mirroring app on my phone so they could see if I was calling or texting anyone. They were installing a camera, which required me to stay in my living room area until I, was in, I left for the bank. So i needed to follow their rules and stay in sight of the camera i needed to always be available by my phone if i didn't do that they would hurt denise if i didn't do that they would hurt my family if i went to the police they would kill denise
0: denise when you heard that they were going to take you what what happened next what was your what was your first thought what happened I mean, I
1: I think I was in shock and just felt deeply defeated and defenseless. I thought, you know, maybe I can hop to the, the door, maybe I can scream, but, you know, we're separated now, Aaron's upstairs, so anything I do could provoke them to hurt him and... You know, I, I I wouldn't be able to live with myself if if I did anything that would cause him more harm. Um, so, I mean, I my response to him was just okay. And from that point on, I just heard a lot of, of commotion going on in the house. I could hear the the doors open to the driveway and someone move my car to the front of the street um, and someone in the 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 garage opening and closing doors of Aaron's car and just a a lot of moving parts until he eventually said he was ready to put me in the trunk. And before he did, I asked to go to the bathroom and he allowed me privacy is how he put it, which was odd. There was many points along that, that night of the home invasion of this Odd politeness. Um, when I was tying up Aaron, it was, You're doing a good job, you know, over and over again. And when he would place me on the couch, Are you comfortable? He asks and places a blanket over me because I said it was cold, you know, and he, I mean, more or less handled me with care. So all of these things, even that pre recorded message with that music playing that would you would describe as soothing, but in a situation of such extreme, life-threatening, um, you know, tactics, it's like it was all the more chilling and disorienting, which obviously was by design, and because it was clear that all of this was by design, it just made it even more like, why? What is what is all of this, and what is their true motivation and their end game, and what what really? um what are they really in this for
0: And they had given you drugs they'd given you some cocktail of drugs that that was must have been making you kind of out of it or I wasn't um out of it in the
1: f- fact that I you know that fight or flight response where <laughs> you're everything you you need to pay attention to every single thing you know your senses are on hyper vigilant alert because anything any bit of information can save your life so there was this mix between in my body of of needing to stay hyper aware and hyper alert and also the the effects of the sedatives were kicking in and that you know i, I couldn't move quickly or i wouldn't be able to react quickly or do anything that I, physically
0: and then he, what happened when he, he just said we're ready and and carried you outside.
1: Mm-hmm. And then he uh, he placed me in the trunk where he lined a comforter so it'd be more comfortable. And I had waited some time, and then uh, I actually before he left, I asked if I could get the blanket from the couch because I was sh- shaking so much. And he said something like, um, "Oh yeah, you know I forget how cold it is because we're all wearing wetsuits here." I mean that statement for me. I just was like, what? "Okay." I, I mean, it, it couldn't. For me, I couldn't make sense of it. Aaron, um, he the this voice said that to Aaron at a different spot, and Aaron actually thought that 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 made sense.
2: Well, I assume they were wearing wetsuits to limit any hair gain in my house or DNA. Also, Mare Island's part of the city of Vallejo, but it's actually a small island connected to it, and there's basically waterways to escape or a marsh. So to me, it showed that they had even thought about potentially escape routes or how to limit any sort of tracking to
0: them. And when you came downstairs, what happened at at that point when you were brought downstairs?
2: When I came down, um, there was a... The camera that was mounted in my living room made this electronic dung sound Uh, three times, like, dung, dung, dung. I asked him if it would be making that sound the entire time. And the voice told me that they weren't able to get into my router, so they were loading it through Wi-Fi, and the sound should stop in the morning. And then he instructed me to stay on the couch until the morning time. I would call in sick To work, I would use Denise's phone to text our manager that uh, she had family emergency, would be gone for a week, and I would need to wait for further instruction. Uh, He eventually he left, and I could hear my car in my driveway, and uh, I heard say to the voice say to Denise, "Um, "I'm going to close the trunk now," and I heard Denise say, "Okay," uh, and I. I was afraid that was the last time I was going to hear her voice.
1: So he closed the trunk, um, and at first I'm, I I'm—I could feel that it was going to be really difficult to breathe as soon as he closed the trunk. Um, and I was trying not to hyperventilate. I was trying to keep myself calm. And not long after we were driving, he stops the car comes out opens the trunk puts his hand on me forcefully and says do not speak, do not scream you're gonna make this a lot harder on yourself and I pleaded you know I didn't say anything and so I mean that it concerned me um, to really what might provoke him even the slightest thing that I didn't do and then we were driving maybe about 20 30 minutes, We stop somewhere. He takes me from that trunk to another trunk. Um, He had cut my hands free for this longer ride um, to make it more comfortable is what he said. And we drove for hours, and I was trying to pay attention to, you know where we were turning and what was going on, but the effects of the sedatives were really starting to take over, and I was in and out of consciousness for the next several hours. But the car started slowing down and turning and eventually stopped. And he, you know, said we're here and uh, tried pulling me out of the trunk, and it was awkward, and so I kind of pushed to, to help him Get me out of there. He awkwardly stumbles with me, and his arms falls, and I drop to the ground. He lands on top of me, and he's frantic, and it just ends up dragging me across the floor, and I'm left on this cold concrete floor, and he says he needs to go inside to clean. And, uh, you know, that's where I could hear him scrubbing, and I just kept picturing... Just like the bloody remains of of prior victims that he might be cleaning up just to prepare for his next victim. And you cycle through all the different horror films that you've gone through and what like how extreme this could actually be. And, you know, wondering, is this what they really are motivated to do? You know, and they just said all that stuff just to, to keep me calm. And so right then and there I told myself. It doesn't matter what they do to me. I'm not going to bang and scream. If that's what they want, if that's what they're in this for, I'm I'm not going to give them that satisfaction. Um, I'm just going if to, I, if I can, uh, I'm just going to stay as calm and quiet as possible. And he eventually comes back out, and he cuts the zip ties off my feet and says he needs me to shower. Um, and he, again, allows me privacy, He says, because he doesn't want to dehumanize me any more than he already has to, and he had to get the room ready. I mean, I was still blindfolded, um, and I was to knock when I was done. It was quicker than he anticipated, and so he put me on a couch, and I could hear him. Um, I could hear cardboard, duct tape, um, and eventually he puts me in a a bedroom where and places me on a bed and says, this is where I'll be staying. And he, he says he needs to leave for a little bit. There's someone else going to be watching over me while he's gone. And it's in my best interest to not, to not talk to this person. And I mean, I was, you know, as soon as I heard that car leave, uh, I, I passed out um, again from the sedatives that they gave. And I think, some hours went by and he he said he was back and it was just gonna be him.
0: And Aaron, you were you were back at your house and you've been told, you know, whatever you do, don't tell anyone what's happened and don't call 911. Tell me about what you decided to do and what you needed to do.
2: Yeah, so when the Kidnappers had taken Denise. I was able to push the goggles off my uh, eyes um, by using the armrest on my couch. And I saw a digital clock, and it was exactly 5 a.m. I I tried to stay awake, but uh, without the threats right there and the commotions, the sedatives took over. And um, eventually I was able to wake up and stay awake around 11.30. Uh, I started receiving... Text messages and emails give me instructions of the exact payments and that Denise is being well taken care of. Eventually they tell me that I will need to drop the money off Tuesday night and they will return Denise Wednesday morning. And during that time, the camera kept on making a dung, dung, dung sound. Uh, I mean, I was panicking, trying to stay calm, um... My mind's spinning, but after I received the email that they telling me to drop off the money and they would return to me at a different time, I realized that I can't trust these guys. If I show up with the money, they can take me as well and kill us both to get away with it. Because they had said they had put monitoring app on my phone, I believe 911 was an option, uh, but my brother is an FBI special agent. And so I took the risk of calling him, thinking that he could alert the authorities. And if the kidnappers did see my phone call, I would lie and say that my brother was going to come over. I reached my brother. He told me I needed to call 911, because we need a full force of law enforcement behind us. And I agreed with him. So um, I remember putting the numbers in, and not hitting the call button yet. and just really thinking that uh, I could be killing Denise with this phone call because the police would show up. I would be okay, but the kidnappers, if they see that I went to the authorities, they would kill her. Uh, it was the hardest decision I've ever made. And uh, the police made everything worse.
0: National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Aaron called 911 at one fifty four p.m., almost 11 hours after he and Denise had been woken up by the intruders, and told the dispatcher that his girlfriend had been kidnapped Two Vallejo police officers arrived at his house.
2: They asked me if I was drugged. I said yes. Um, I told them that the kidnappers had drugged me. But they repeated uh, asking me if I'd been partying, if um, multiple times. Uh, even when they came into my living room, the camera made a dung sound when officers went over and immediately unplugged it without wearing gloves. Didn't ask me anything about it. and they asked me to go down to the station to give a statement, which I agreed. And I signed up for them to search my house. I told them anything they need to find Denise, I'll do it. When I went down to the police station, uh, two detectives take uh, my initial uh, statement. But during that time, they tell me that they need to take my clothes for evidence. Uh, so I agree, not knowing that they were gonna have me stand up and take pictures with my arms spread. They'd take a picture of my front, my side, my back, and and my other side, and then you would take a piece of clothing off, and you would repeat that all the way down to where I was naked, and they are taking pictures of me. In turn, they'd give me prison clothes to wear. It literally says Solano County Prison on the side. And then they take my statement, and they leave me alone for hours until another detective comes in. Uh, Detective Matt Mustard, and he asked me to go through his statement again. At this point, I don't know exactly what the time is because I'm in a small room without a window with no clock, isolated from everyone. Uh, but I assumed it was around 7.30 because I could kind of tell the sun was going down when he op- when Mustard opened the door. But he asked me to go through the statement again, even though I had told him everything. He's not taking notes. He asks me more about my relationship with Denise and then the actual kidnapping. Eventually he stops and goes, the story you're telling is extraordinary. And I agreed with him. He said, I don't think that happened. Something bad happened, but there's only one guy. It's just you. And then he, for the next 45 minutes or so, told me that I killed Denise. She was dead. He he's uh, already accepted that, I need to accept it. And if I keep telling this crazy story, they'll paint me as a cold calculated monster.
0: And Denise, what is what's going on at this point in in the in the house, in the room that you're in? Yeah, so later
1: sometime that maybe late afternoon or evening, um Well, he'd come in to tell me a little bit more about the organization that he and his associates were involved in. So it was a black market startup company to be hired to fulfill these personal or financial debts. And they were hired specifically for Aaron and his ex, but he got the wrong intel. Um, If only he would have checked my purse and seen my identification, then this never would have happened. Um, You know, I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that information being here now? And I had asked him, too, to stop telling me because I was afraid of anything more that I knew that it would put me at more risk and it would be more likely that they would end up killing me. Um, And he said that, you know, that wasn't the plan. And so it was strange in the fact that he spent a lot of time talking to me and sharing things with me and then it just felt like he was trying to force this rapport with me to get me to trust him and i just kind of had to play along and then a little bit later he came back into the room to say we have a problem and at first i was just afraid that something happened to aaron uh but then he said you know we because we didn't have any information on you we have nothing to use against you, and so one of us is going to have to have sex with you. Um, we're going to record it, and so that way, if you, if we think that you ever are going to go to the police, we will use it um, and put it on the internet. Um, and. Um. He leaves for a little bit to say, you know, I have to figure out exactly how we're going to do this, and then comes back and says, you know, can I can I lay down with you and talk with you a little bit? Um, and he starts telling me about how he's had psychological difficulties. He was in the military and has PTSD, and I sat there and listened to make it seem like this was an open space. Uh, because, you know, I'm still being drugged. I don't I don't know where I'm at. I'm just absolutely defenseless. And so my only defense is to really show him the human that was in front of him and hope that um, it'd be less likely that he would kill me. He eventually then leaves and comes back and um, says that he's going to have to do it. And, um, I mean... <sighs> During it, I still had these blacked-out swim goggles on. I'm like, this is just going to look like a rape. I mean, I don't... um, You know, I because I think you said something like it should look consensual or... And
0: I just tried to detach. And at the same time, this is going on to Denise. You're at the police station and... They've just told you, Aaron, well we it's clear you're lying what happens next what what do they tell you to do, or
2: after detective Muster went after me, I kinda gave a more forceful answer than I had prior to, and he uh I told him I'm not gonna say I did anything because I didn't do it, and where do we go from here? You guys need need to find her, and he Tells me we'll figure out what we're going to do next and leaves the room. Uh, again, I'm left alone for hours in this cold room in prison clothes. I ask if my brother's there. They they tell me they don't know. Uh, even though my brother was in the police station with my parents, but they kept me isolated. Uh, they wouldn't even let me go to the bathroom by myself. And eventually they asked me if I'll take a polygraph to eliminate me as a suspect and I knew I was telling the truth Uh, I've never blamed them for looking at me as a suspect because I was the last person to be with Denise I just didn't realize I was going to be the only suspect and they would ignore all sorts of evidence Um, so I did the polygraph and it was done by special agent Peter French and you sit there you can't take a deep breath. You can't shift. You can't move your head. You've got blood pressure cuffs squeezing your arm. And the whole time you're afraid that maybe your body is what is the proper response that your body's giving. Uh, At the time it's three in the morning when when they're doing this. And after we're done Agent French puts me in a corner of the room. He angles himself where he's just not quite blocking the exit, but I would have to step around them. And he just tells me, there's no doubt in my mind you failed this miserably. You know where she is, and you need to tell us where she is.
0: Aaron says the special agent continued accusing him of knowing exactly where Denise was for almost 40 minutes. Here's the tape.
2: Something happened to her that you didn't plan. Maybe she, I don't know. You tell me, but But it can't start with three guys showing up at the house, taking taking her away. That's not what happened. You know where she is. I don't know where she is. And all you wanted to do is make it stop. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to tell him that I killed Denise, but I can only imagine what other people have gone through. Um, eventually, I, I get a word in, I ask him, you know, what evidence do you guys have that I did anything? And he couldn't point to it, and I, I asked for a lawyer.
0: The special agent left the interrogation room. Aaron says he fell asleep on three chairs he pulled together. Eventually, the detective on the case... Detective Matt Mustard came into the room with Aaron's brother.
2: And they were lying to my brother the entire time outside that interrogation room, saying I was having a schizophrenic breakdown, that i they know I killed Denise. And they wanted to get, extract a confession out of me, my own my own brother. They were trying to get a confession. And uh, when I saw him, I just started breaking down, um, uh, because it was like the first time there was someone there to help me. Uh, and, and, you know, he had to leave because he needed to get me a lawyer. Uh, if, he, if they didn't send him in, I don't know if they would have ever got me an attorney. I would have been stuck in that room forever. Uh, that's what it felt like. When my brother asked, said that we should get him an attorney because it's my constitutional right, uh, Detective Mustard said, I'd like to try a few more things. Thankfully, thankfully, my attorney Dan Russo picked up the phone when Ethan called and got down the station to help me get out of there.
0: Denise, during this time, what what happened? He had me shower
1: again, and this time he said that I could have uh, the goggles off when I'm not in the room with him. And there was a bunch of toiletries laid out. Um, I took it all as rewards for being compliant. And it just felt like, yeah, like he was just trying to condition me. Um, and, you know, later that evening, he ordered me pizza. He gave me wine. And he acted like, you know, a remorseful abuser, you know, just very soft. And um, he gave me more of the sedative, saying that it was protocol and— um. You know, I eventually passed out again. The next morning, I asked about Aaron, and he said, you know, he wasn't sure what was going on at that end. And then later that morning, he said that two of his associates are going to come to the house, and I could hear a truck pull up. Um, It sounded like a truck because it was just a different type of engine, higher from the ground than the car that I was driven in. And I could hear car doors open, uh, the bedroom door was opened and then closed. And then, it, you know, I couldn't quite hear what was being said. There was always music being played. Um, and then about 20 minutes later, they left. The car drove off. And as the car was driving off, he comes back in saying, they're gone. You know, we're not going to – it'll just be us. You know, they won't need to come back. Um, and then not long after that, he – wakes me again to say that we need to record a proof of life. And he explains what this proof of life is because I I don't know. Um, and he says that it needs to have my name in it. It needs to have a current event to verify it's the same day when I'm giving this and a specific detail about me that only people close to me would, would know. And so we go over this, and he has me repeat it several times, feeding me the lines. Um, until he thinks I've got it and tells me to go ahead and and start. And so it said something more or less of, you know, I'm Denise Huskins. I've been kidnapped, but otherwise I'm fine. Um, and then I give the current event and my first concert that I went to. And he said, good, got it. And I just fell over into the bed and passed out again. Um, I didn't know who he was sending it to. I figured it was probably going to be sent to Aaron, but I I didn't know. Yeah, and then hours went by again. Um, And eventually, at some point, he came back in to say that the recording of that first rape, of course he didn't call it a rape, um, wasn't good enough. And this time... Um, you know, I I can't wear the goggles and um, we'd have to kiss and say things to make it seem like this is an affair, like we've been seeing each other for a while. Um, um, Yeah, I mean, so he tapes my eyes shut and we go through it all and I perform because I I don't want this to happen again. And I, I mean, really felt like I was performing to save my life.
2: There was a, an FBI agent who was a hostage negotiator, which I initially took as a positive sign. He told me that he was just catching up um, and I needed, they want to ask me a few more questions. Eventually they, Play the proof of life for me. I just remember hearing Denise and feeling, knowing how scared she was, but her ability to stay calm. But I could hear the tremble in her voice. Um, and so then the police asked me to look through my text messages and phone calls on my phone that they've had in possession since I called them. Uh, while I'm looking through there's you know, multiple there's tons of messages and calls and then my my lawyer's paralegal notice is that my phone's on airplane mode.
0: You're kind of off the grid, which would have
2: No, the police put my phone on airplane mode.
0: Which could have put Denise in even greater harm if you had gone off the grid, kind of.
2: Yeah, and there are, when I take it off uh, airplane mode, it just gets flooded by more and more text messages um, Multiple phone calls. It literally my phone maxes out on voicemails, and I just think that during that time, the kidnappers could be calling. Like one of those phone calls could lead them to Denise. Then they asked me to go through my emails, which I had given the police access to all those as well. And as I looked through the laptop that they provided me, I'd see that there's a few emails that have been. Least open, most likely red, and one of them, actually multiple of them, are are from the kidnapper saying that they were going to call around 9 p.m., and this was now almost 24 hours after that email was received. And I have never been that angry in my entire life. I literally, my vision starts shaking. Uh, because they had the opportunity to track and find her, and they just ignored it. And this is more than 24 hours after the kidnappers had sent the emails, and now we're getting close to 36 hours since the home invasion. Detective Mustard, the day before, told me the kidnappers weren't communicating at all. And later we found out that the kidnappers actually did call uh, three times within five minutes on Monday night when they said they were going to call. But uh, as far as we know, they never investigated that lead.
0: When did you find out that, or did you find out um, that Aaron had, that they lost contact with Aaron and that he had gone to the police? What happened next? I think
1: sometime sometime that evening or later that afternoon, he told me that they had lost contact with Aaron. First, he said he wasn't sure why, um, if either Aaron didn't want to fulfill the tasks or if maybe he went to the police and I knew that he wouldn't have just left me hanging on my own. Um, Eventually, he said, you know, Aaron did go to the police. It's being covered in the media, but, you know, it doesn't really worry us because it'd be good PR for our group to show that they're capable of of fulfilling, you know, an operation like this, and could still release the victim, quote, quote unquote, unharmed. And then later, he shared with me that there was an article out there describing that I that Aaron went to the police and he had me read it. And as I was reading it, I, I, I read a quote from my dad saying, telling me to stay strong and that the family's there doing what they can. Um, and as soon as I started reading it, I broke down and started sobbing. I, the whole time, I just had hoped that they didn't know, you know. I just hoped that I was just kind of in it on my own cuz i i couldn't emotionally handle what that could be doing to them and as i'm crying there he puts his hand on my back and says you know oh i know this must be hard to you know to read it out loud it must feel real finally feel real or something like that. And I just cried and said, no, I just can't imagine what my family is going through. Um, But, you know, that whole time, the two rapes, I mean, I I never cried in front of him. And that was the first time he, you know, I felt like he broke me. Every time I talked to him, I said, like, you're going to kill me. I know you're going to kill me just didn't see that it'd be a possibility. Why would he risk releasing me? You know, And um, he just kept saying, that's not what we're in this for. We're not going to do that. We're going to release you after 48 hours. Late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning is the release. And he was consistent about it, but I didn't believe him. And you know, as the clock was ticking down to that 48 hours, I was starting to prepare myself to have to change my game plan. Um, and, you know, especially because he was so consistent with it, I told myself, you know what, if, if that 48 hours comes and goes and he doesn't follow through with it, then he's never going to release me. And I'm going to have to figure out a way to not take the sedatives and find something to use as a weapon. And I was preparing myself mentally for a fight to the death to save myself. Uh, he said that we were going to leave, you know, around 2 a.m., that next morning and he woke me up and, you know, was getting things together and put me in the front seat of the car this time. And we're leaving and I'm, you know, somewhat relieved, but then at the same time going, oh my God, maybe he's just taking me away from this home so he could take me somewhere and kill me. And so, again, I'm just swinging back and forth with that, but I'm, I'm trying to show him that he can trust me to release me, that he can take me somewhere, and that I've been calm, and I haven't screamed, and I haven't tried to escape. And at one point on the drive, because he gave me another sedative, I'm in and out of consciousness, he wakes me up to let me go to the bathroom, and I could tell it's quiet. He said it's a rest stop. And as, you know, he pulls me out of the car and I'm taking a few steps over gravel or, and dirt, I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's still dark out. Like, this is this is when he's going to kill me. Uh, any second, I'm going to hear a gunshot and I'm, I'm that's it. That's, I'm, it's going to be over. Um, and before I know it, I hear it, the echo of a door closing and I pull up the blindfold and I'm actually in a bathroom, um, like a rest stop, campground, bathroom. And... I realize that's when I realized, like, this was his last chance. He is actually going to release me. And hours go by in the car. Along the, the ride, he gives me tape again and puts sunglasses over my eyes so in the daylight it doesn't look so suspicious. Um, and eventually we're stop and go traffic. He says we're in L.A. and then keeps driving and and wakes me back up and says he's where— he said he was going to release me, which was uh, within walking distance to, to my mom's house. He had said, you know, there's two things you can't say to the police because you're going to talk to the police. Aaron went to the police. Two things you can't say is anything about us being in the military or anything about uh, us having sex. Um And, you know, I know where your family lives. I, you know, we watch our victims. Um, So now the threat's not just against me, but it's against my family as well. Um, And so he takes me out of the car and tells me to count to 10. And he drives off. And I count to 10. um, And eventually I pull the, the tape off of my eyes and I walk down this alley thinking I could be anywhere. But I turn that corner and I look at the street name and it's the street where my mom lives, where I grew up on, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm finally free. So I just start walking, you know, I'm still just heavily sedated and just kind of stumbling down the street. Just thinking, I mean, all I can think of is I have to get to my mom and dad. I just need, just I just need them to hug me and hold me and say that it's okay and that I'm safe. Um, and I go to my mom's house, she's not home. I go to her next, the next door neighbors, they're not home. Um, and my dad lives a mile from her. So I start walking to his house. I stop someone, use the phone. Um, And I'm trying not to cause any um, alarm or attention because I was instructed not to uh, both call my mom, dad goes voicemail, leaves it. I leave a message for my dad saying, you know, I'm okay. And I'm, I don't have a phone. I'm walking down to your house. This is the route I'm going to go. I get to his house. And again, he's not home. I talk to a neighbor. She takes me in and I use the bathroom and, Within minutes, I, I I step out of the bathroom and I see two Huntington Beach police officers coming in. And they ask me, you know, are you Denise Huskins? I say yes. Were you kidnapped? I say yes. The first thing that concerned me with speaking to them was that one, the one that was really talking to me, he was holding a recording device by his side. Uh, discreetly, like I, he didn't tell me he was going to need to record me. And so then that scared me. And it scared me wondering, too, is this recording going to get out? And if what I say to them, or is that going to get out to the public? Um, again, because of those threats. And so then I'm very aware of the possibility of the kidnappers finding out what I say. And then I'm afraid fully disclosing what really happened. However, I do go through the whole thing, the the home invasion, the kidnapping, um, being held captive, and I say how they treated me nicely, it, that they let me shower and have food and water. And initially the officer says that a detective's going to come in and talk to me and CSI is going to come in. Um, I keep asking to to talk to my parents if I could just talk to them. And they say, you know, yeah, a little later. And I hear, you know, helicopters outside and people gathering. And time kept going on. And that I just—that's when I think, like, I just started wondering. Um, it just something didn't feel right. And finally, my cousin comes in with my aunt. My cousin's an attorney, and that's why they let him in. <sighs> And he tells the officers to step outside. He comes to me, asks me the first, you know, question anyone asks me. and gives me a choice. You know, what, what do you need right now? And I say, I just want to go somewhere safe. I just want to finally feel safe.
0: Her family took her to her aunt's house. Her mother and father and her uncle, who was also a lawyer, were all up in Northern California. They had gone to Vallejo to see if they could be helpful and find out more. Her uncle... Wanted to speak with her.
1: We get on the phone, and he says they don't
0: believe you. Listen to 48 Hours Part 2 for the rest of Denise and Aaron's story. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our show is mixed and engineered by Veronica Simonetti. Special thanks to Rob Byers, Johnny Vince Evans, and Michael Raphael. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. And you can sign up for a newsletter at thisiscriminal.com newsletter. We hope you'll join our new membership program, Criminal Plus. Once you sign up, you can listen to Criminal episodes without any ads. And you'll get bonus episodes with me and Criminal co-creator Lauren Spohr, too. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com plus We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at criminal underscore podcast. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash criminal podcast. Criminal is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support.